Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In a previous podcast, we focused on how ethics services contribute to the mission and identity of Catholic healthcare. In this podcast, we explore the role of the healthcare ethicist on the front lines. Our guest is Dr. Elliot Bedford, Director of Ethics Integration at Ascension Health Indiana. Elliot is a frequent contributor to the NCBC, having written for the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly, as well as the third edition of Catholic Healthcare Ethics, a Manual for Practitioners. In this podcast, he begins by explaining both macro and micro challenges facing Catholic healthcare today. He then addresses the transformation that is taking place within Catholic healthcare ethics and how he views his work as a ministry of the church. He concludes looking towards the future, speaking of the need to recruit and train the next generation of ethicists. Elliot Bedford, welcome to our podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're, we're glad to have you. So I asked this question of every one of our guests who, who comes on Bioethics on Air. Tell us a bit about your background, specifically your education and your work experience prior to Ascension Health. Well, I grew up in the West Michigan, Grand Rapids area, and so I went to community college there for two years uh, out of high school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I found philosophy as something very interesting. So I wanted to go to a Catholic university, four-year school, uh, to study philosophy further. So I wanted to go to Notre Dame and ended up not having the grades or the or the money to be able to do that. But that was God calling me ultimately to Franciscan University of Steubenville, where I was able to get a really good education, undergraduate master, uh, undergraduate and a master's degree in uh, philosophy with a concentration in bioethics. Also met my wife there, so it was definitely divine providence. It's a good thing. I met my wife at college too, so we have we have that in common. Met her in philosophy class. That's more. What better story can you write? Uh, so I then went to uh, St. Louis University and Aquinas University in St. Louis. They offer a dual degree program there: masters in moral theology and a doctorate in uh, Catholic healthcare ethics. And so I was able to go and get those degrees, um, finishing up in 2014. And then I moved to Indiana to take this role that I have now. So, Elliot, what is your current position at Ascension in Indiana? And talk a little bit more about your path to getting there. Okay. So when I was at St. Louis and, uh, and Aquinas, they offered a graduate assistantship to help fund and cover expenses. So my graduate assistantship actually sent me out to the headquarters at Ascension uh, Health, which is the largest Catholic health system in the country. And John Paul Slosar and Dan O'Brien at the time were um, they, they were the leadership of the ethics department there, and they uh, needed a graduate assistant. So I came out, and I was able to um, be part of that department for about four yeah, four or five years um, wow. working as I was going to school. So I was taking the theory that I'd learned at school and then applying it um, in my day-to-day work experience with those guys, those mentors of mine. Now, just to clarify, Ascension's office, they are in St. Louis, correct? So what you weren't, you weren't traveling back and forth or anything. You were right there. 
they weren't traveling. It was very, very um, nice to have that proximity. St. Louis is kind of this hub of um, Catholic healthcare, Catholic healthcare ethics, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Catholic healthcare. So it was a fantastic learning opportunity, and then also you got to know the whole of the Ascension system. And when I saw the job uh, open up in Indiana, that I said that's the one that I'm going to pray for the most because uh, that's where my wife is from, mm-hmm. uh, Northwest Indiana, and I also loved the system and the people in there. So. Uh, through divine providence once again i was able to get that job and i have been here since 2014 serving as the director for ethics integration for the whole system we have about uh 22 acute care facilities um over 16,000 associates here uh like 380, I think it is, uh, physicians' offices. It's a big, big place, but they are all switched into the mission of Catholic healthcare. And so it's a great joy to be able to be here and serve this community, the, the local church. I always say I, I work for the church at St. Vincent, and it really, um, it's really a great place to be able to do that. Great. So now you said you're you're based in Indianapolis, but you're responsible for the entire state of Indiana. Yeah. So we have um, facilities that go up to Kokomo, which is our furthest north, uh, down to Evansville, and that's a probably a five and a half hour span between them. So, uh, then we go from uh, the east side of the state to the west side in terms of the borders, and uh, all throughout there we've got. Uh, facilities of delivery. Some some are are just critical access hospitals, numbering no more than twenty five beds. Others are you know quaternary care facilities here in Indianapolis. So we run the gamut in terms of kind of uh, services provided and um, people we serve, and it's very very large. But I said, like I said before, the people here are just fantastic to work with, and so you're able to cover. Um, a, a lot of ground because people are bought into what you're doing and we're able to collaborate very well. Um, so maybe I'm not physically present in every facility every day, but we have great uh, collaboration with leadership and, and clinical providers throughout the system. Excellent. All right. So today we're going to be talking about a number of, of different issues, both on, on kind of a macro level and a micro level. And I'd like to start out on the macro level. So, Elliot, on the in big picture, what are some of the most pressing ethical or other challenges that face Catholic healthcare today in the U.S.? And, and how is Ascension addressing these challenges? So, I'll give you two on the macro level that I see. Um, one is the idea that this is a ministry of the church always entails with it this idea of stewardship, and you find that in the ethical and religious directives that we have to be responsible stewards of this ministry that we've been handed by our previous generations. And that's definitely something that is happening right now, that we're struggling with uh, the pressures of uh, changing reimbursements and changing way that people try and uh, or anticipate or want to receive healthcare. So that is entailing all sorts of pressures on the system itself to be able to adapt and change to the current environment so that we can continue this healing ministry of Jesus. Um, And that might mean things like we need to reorganize how the organization 
operates, and that might mean um, uh, changing the way we staff things or the where we're located. So, for instance, moving from acute care focused and you know um, moving into more uh, we call it out outpatient or uh, preventative medicine as a way to not only take better care of people, but ultimately it has the benefit of better use of resources. So there's a lot of um, hard decisions that are in those uh, changes that have to come. I think it ultimately is a, a good thing that these changes are happening insofar as it's making us really, really be, I'll say, sharp in terms of how we manage our resources, our people, but then also deliver care in a way that's reflective of, of uh, God's compassion for people. So I think that if the change wasn't simp- was, was motivated by anything other than the mission, it would be a little bit less inspiring. But uh, this is all about acting as a ministry of the church so that we can, we can hand the, the ministry on to the next generation. And I see this happening with dioceses too, right? They're, they're having to reconfigure and, and, um, and, and do the same type of stuff that you see in the health system. Why? For the good of the church, for the good of the future generations. So that's one really big thing. And we're constantly making decisions um, to, to help deal with those struggles of changing reimbursements and so on. That's on a like a, on a national level and on a statewide level because uh, everything can be very local. The other thing that I, I think um, is significant, and maybe it's not necessarily just a challenge, but um, being an ethicist, we end up get a, end up uh, involved with a lot of end of life issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that the center has oh, that as well. Every day, um, and yeah, and so what we uh, are trying to do, I think everybody in, uh, might know about the push for assisted suicide and you know legalization, or at least moving people to being morally neutral on that, as if that was possible. Um, the the idea that uh, this is growing form of acceptable medicine, but what if you look in Catholic healthcare and Ascension uh, has a big focus on this is rather than simply say, look assisted suicide is not something that we want to participate in. We want to start really, really emphasizing the good of uh, palliative care and hospice care that's uh, in line with church teaching and the most authentic way to care for persons, whether they're at the end of life or with palliative care, it can be at any time of serious diagnosis like congestive heart failure or something. So that is one of the ways that I see... um, it's not a typical kind of uh, ethical analysis of is this action permissible or not permissible, but it's more about the idea of we're exhorting people to utilize and grow palliative care as the the antidote to something like assisted suicide, but also something that's good in and of itself. So that's something that I'm happy to say that I'm working with a coalition of, of uh you know, Catholic entities on that initiative, on on that um, matter, uh, both locally and on the national level. So that's that's something that we think will be more and more important as we move into the future. Boy, you've uh, you've inspired a number of questions in me just from from that response. But just uh, a follow up to that is in a previous podcast we had a, a guest, uh, Chris Carrera, 
And we had a discussion about the mentality of assisted suicide. And in, in, in other words, even though, well, in most states, uh, assisted suicide is, is not legal, the mentality underlying it has crept into the medical field really across the country. You can go into Canada and to Western Europe as well, too. And I'm wondering, do you see that attitude in medical providers um, in Indiana with Ascension? No, thank God, because <laughs> what I see is um, ultimately people are committed to doing what is best for the patient. And I think from my experiences, people are able to make the distinction between I got into medicine to actually authentically care for people. Now, we might have differing political views, but one of those lines that is not crossed is uh, or conflated is we're trying there to end the suffering of a patient by eliminating the patient. That's fundamentally contradictory to the, you know, the underlying purpose of medicine. And so people are very, very cognizant of that, that, uh, you don't conflate these two things because they're not the same thing at all. Um, luckily, we've had great support from the Indiana Catholic Conference in helping kind of um, address issues uh, legislatively as they get brought forward to legalize assisted suicide. And there's also not a lot of um, drive even outside of Catholic health care in Indiana. So in other local health systems, I don't hear a, you know, somebody beating the drum to uh, legalize assisted suicide. So maybe it's just unique to Indiana. It's not like the, um, the advocacy groups are going to ever back off on their push on the legislative side of things. But from a medical perspective, the, it's not an overwhelming tide yet. And in fact, actually, uh, we had a bunch of uh, AMA representation from Indiana go up and help uh, address one of their uh, when it was before them up in Chicago they were they were uh, I guess reviewing their position and they were able to show out very well so that's um, that's something that's you know a point of pride I would say that we were able to see things a little bit more clearly um, at this point in time I remember students at the uh, the Catholic Medical Association boot camp went down to that meeting as well too and made their um, made their views known and, and, and helped to uh, stem the tide of the AMA changing from uh, being against assisted suicide to being to, to moving to a neutral position. So that's a good thing. So good, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's change gears a little bit from the macro down to the micro. So on the micro level, what ethical questions or challenges do you face at St. Vincent in Indianapolis? So on a micro level, uh, we face many of the same issues that you're going to find across the country. I think the the end-of-life issues are the predominant number of consultations that we get. What I find is that people either are not well prepared to think about end-of-life decisions or when we're in the moment, uh, it gets very difficult and you know, you don't see people at their best. So we try and not only help provide a good ethical analysis in those situations, end of life situations of, you know, when does, when is um, an intervention, you know, disproportionate, for instance. But uh, the way that we try and run our program here 
is we call it proactive ethics integration. And what we mean by that is we there's signs and, and uh, things that you can identify, especially from a, you know, for a, a nurse who's seen, who's worked on the ICU for 10 years, and she can tell you what's going to happen, uh, generally speaking, in this case. So they're able to see things on the horizon. And we're, our model is to try and empower that nurse to be able to, one, take note of those concerns, and then two, um, activate her support network to be able to address those things up front. So for instance, the fact that um, a patient is typically going to need a tracheostomy after being on the in the ICU for roughly two weeks is well established, uh, you know, at least as it's practiced here because ultimately you need to be able to support patients' airway. Well, we don't need to wait until day 14 to actually have the discussion about whether this is something that would be proportionate or disproportionate to this patient. And that's something that the physicians should be talking about among themselves and with the patient from basically day one because you've got a ticking uh, clock. So we're trying to say, rather than wait for this to blow up into a big firestorm, let's address it in bud form while we can uh, really articulate, okay, what is the patient's goals? What are uh, their, you know, what's their current medical status? What's their likely prognosis? And that way we're able to, you're not going to catch everything that way, but staff are feel empowered to act as moral agents to address um, morally complex issues up front. And so we're, we're trying to move them beyond, say, just a, uh, we call it an expert-centered model, where it's, well, all ethics questions are solely resolved by the ethicist into saying, you as a nurse, you as a physician, a social worker, a chaplain, you're all uh, moral agents as human beings. You all have professional ethics um, and you all work in a Catholic healthcare ministry. All of these things are tools and resources that help you to provide medical, better clinical care. If you only bring that lens to your your um, yeah, your your everyday job, as particularly true in the 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 NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, and those are probably the most difficult cases in terms of the emotional side of things, because. Um, it's a baby. You're dealing with people, you know, parents and their kids, and there is a tendency to, um, and they can't speak for themselves. So when you're looking at, well, do we continue aggressive interventions on a, this kiddo? Are what good are we actually doing for the baby? Is it are we doing this to the baby for the parents, or is this actually for the benefit of the patient, the baby? Uh, those are really difficult situations emotionally, um, and then also so ethically because you're dealing with you know how how much life could this this child have? How much could they grow up? We're not judging on their you know there's quality as or they don't have any different moral status. So those are the two types of questions we're trying to help uh, frontline staff address as much as possible, and that's the method that we try as education and training through our ethics committees to address those types of issues. As you were speaking, I was, uh, I couldn't help but thinking the, um, you know, the proactive 
approach to ethics and and the the positive effect it can have for staff. I'm just thinking about that in terms of for either patients or for family members who are making medical decisions for patients. If you can start those conversations early, you know, it gives them an opportunity to to just to kind of absorb and kind of think and and kind of you know have some time to make those decisions. We get calls all the time from people who are they're kind of thrown into a situation and they have to make a decision and they don't really know what to do. And it just seems that if people had some time to just absorb and just reflect and, you know, and, and, you know, this is a question that, you know, we may have to address in seven days or 10 days and to give people time to do that, it, it just makes for a better overall outcome. Yeah, I would absolutely agree and experience attests to that. I think that if you look at it from the lens of conscience formation, um, it's absolutely that. It, it is about allowing human beings to process information and situations in a way that they're, again, being thrown into it. You just go back to your defaults, and if it's a foreign, you've never been in this situation, well, you, you just have to figure it out, right? But as you're able to start processing in a way that uh, is, I'll say, has a timeline versus a um, you have to do it in the moment immediately. It allows for more reflection. It allows for that um, more solid foundation to be able to make those decisions. Now, it doesn't mean it's any less difficult, but at least, for instance, um, the idea that your expectations are somewhat set. For So if I tell you, look, in 14 days, we're going to need to make a decision about uh, the tracheostomy, well, now I can expect that if we go 14 days, that this conversation is going to, we're going to have to make a decision about it. And I need to think about what the decision is actually going to be uh, and what my loved one would want. So a lot of what I find in healthcare is that in particular, uh, the staff are very experienced and then they speak this language of medicine uh, and then you have patients who are not necessarily experienced with the health system and don't speak that language and so they have no clear uh, idea about expectations what to expect and what's and then we're saying well just give us your decision and we'll go with that and well that's unfair to everybody um, so our model is definitely about trying to help empower people to make informed decisions but ultimately it's about respecting their dignity as human beings because of helping them process this information you know we had a case of uh, uh, a young person got in a car accident and had designated themselves as an organ donor and their parent came in and driven in from a state away or multiple states away and then there was this conversation of no you can't uh, take their their organs Um, but ultimately that was simply because parents said i just needed to process this right i needed to process this and now i understand that this is what my child would have wanted um, and so now i'm okay with it so i find that that's often the source of what we'll call ethical conflict is when you get down to it, it's the human side of things. Yeah. So we focused um, a bit uh, on sort of the consult end of 
challenges facing um, St. Vincent. What is what else do you do all day? What 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 does the everyday of life of an ethicist look like aside from clinical counsel? So it's fun to watch the um, progression of where things were when I started five years ago, six years ago, uh, to where we're at now. So when I started, we were very much in the model of all the ethics questions go to the ethicist and it is the role solely of the specialist and they kind of cover the whole state and they're on call 24 seven. And, um, it was very, very much, yeah, everything gets funneled to the ethicist. And what we've done is we have, uh, built up our ethics committees. So we have, um, about 18 ethics committees spread throughout the state, um, with varying degrees of, um, sizes. So they can be, you know, five to 15 to 20 people, interdisciplinary groups, but, um, we support them. They have, uh, bi-monthly meetings where they do education and training around the ethical and religious directives and case scenarios so that, uh, those members are able to then go out and provide levels of ethics support and consultation to their colleagues. So part of what we do on a day-to-day basis is, um, we support those committees. We have, for instance, the Ethics Coordinating Council, which is the basically the leadership of all local committees pulled up to the state level that provides uh, that meets monthly to provide strategy and coordination of everything. So, for instance, when I do an educational module, I do it first with the Ethics Coordinating Council, and then they, the following month, roll it out to their local committees. Um, so it's very, very much, uh, you know, train the trainer, um, but then ultimately it helps establish them as experts. And uh, it's a really, really tight network where we are able to move as one across the whole system. So we have about 250 people all told in that program, um, and they're super involved. And then we do things like um, ethics case discussions among those groups every month one of the committees will do a presentation of a case that they've experienced and we'll open it up to the whole organization for us everyone to listen in um and that's great learning shared learning because you know sometimes you have the critical access hospitals teaching the big uh quaternary care center a thing or two um so those those are a couple pieces of how we support the program in general. Actually, uh, I would say it's increasingly less focused on my specific consultations, and it's more about my education and training and uh, working with. We've got a manager here who's uh, fantastic who helps run that whole program. So that's the educational, or sorry, that's the clinical delivery service program. Then I also work with our administrative leaders ensuring uh, we call organizational ethics, right? So making business decisions in line with our, our identity as a ministry of the church. Uh, so that's always a fun and exciting thing to be able to do, um, working with you know partnerships and kind of new business ventures to make sure that they're meeting needs in a way that's authentically Catholic. Um, and then I also get to do a church relations uh, dimension of the job. And that means I get to interface and support uh, with senior leadership, for instance, talking with the, the local ordinaries, bishops, um, and our th- the three dioceses that we cover. But then we've also really tar- uh, started to focus on what we call a 
proactive church relations strategy, which is to say that we need to be better at being a member of the Catholic community by reaching out to all of our local parishes and seeing how we can integrate and support with the Catholic community on that level. So that's been kind of something that uh, Jonathan Alley, our CEO here, uh, has been really uh, excited about and emphasizes um to me and my chief mission officer a lot. So it's been great to have that level of support. And we've already seen really cool outcomes from that of trying to work with pastors and parishioners on what the health needs of the parish are, and then leveraging the resources of the health system to be able to help, you know, provide training or education or uh, uh, even just, you know, we did a, a baby shower one day at a parish for people who didn't have, you know, car seats and things like that. So it was fantastic uh, stuff. And that's stuff that really, really excites me as this role grows. Yeah. I'd like to come back to that church relations stuff in a couple of minutes, but just coming back to, to some of the things you just talked about, are the things that Ascension is doing, the things that you just described, is this a transformational change in, in the way ethics is done in Catholic healthcare? Is, is, is this something different? Is this something unique that Ascension is trying to do? Or is, or is this kind of the, the, the move of the future really across Catholic healthcare as a whole? Um, I can't speak for all of Catholic healthcare as a whole. I'd like to think that it, this, this change, uh, or this is, you know, uh, something for the future there. I can speak to a little bit of, I was just with a bunch of uh, Catholic ethics ethicists in Dallas with Becca Grimmels. We had a um, little workshop to talk about innovation. And it was interesting to see the different models uh, that are out there. And I think on his podcast, he had uh, I, I talked about those, right? And I don't think that there's going to be a uniformity uh, in the future, just because the organizations are very different uh, culturally and, you know, location-wise and resource-wise. But I do think that there is a trend because of the, um, I'll say, the skill set and, and knowledge set to move away from solely being uh, just the the person who can tell you whether, you know, something is consistent with church teaching or not into being more of that, um, I'll say, leader exhortation. Ex, you know, well, St. Paul, for instance, he's all about exhortation, right? Well, I think that that's a very uh, fertile ground for ethicists to move into as we're trying to, uh, again, can, uh, reconfigure how health, Catholic healthcare operates. And I think that the vantage point that the ethicist has of saying, okay, look, here's what church teaches about certain actions, but here's also what the church teaches about the human person and what's good for the human person and what's, what's, what's good for human society. Like the, the, that uh, knowledge base that we have allows for you to speak of, well, we should be focused on palliative care and we should grow resources around that as a, natural consequence of what the church teaches about how to care for people, right? I think that there's definitely that opportunity. Now, some people may be more inclined towards that. I certainly am um, because I like to focus on the, the positives of what we ought to be doing rather than simply telling you what's out of bounds, 
Um, so, so I think it's a really good question, and it'll be interesting to see in the next five, ten years um, what it actually looks like. Well, that that, I, that was my next question. Actually, is is I mean, you said previously that you you started out, or, or the culture used to be very um, provider centric. Um, you know, doctor doctor says. And now the role of ethics is transforming, as, as you talked about. Where do you see this in five to ten years? So I think that um, the, the data we have around the number of ethicists coming into the field is not encouraging. So one of the things that I would like to see, and I w- very much passionate about is trying to find that that pipeline of people who want to come into Catholic healthcare ethics. For instance, I didn't know the role actually existed until my senior year at Franciscan. And then I, you know, my wife said, I, I don't want to be married to a pharmacy <laughs> professor. I want to, you got to, you got to go do something practical. And I said, okay. Um, so she she said you like the ethics piece go go after that and then we found this role and she's like that's the thing that you're most passionate about go do that so that's god speaking through my wife right <laughs> you have no idea how similar our stories are this is it, it, it's kind of funny yeah right so then i landed um ascension in in uh, st louis and i'm like this is this is amazing. I didn't know this existed. And I think that that's actually a fairly similar story to many of my colleagues. So one of the things I want to make sure is that we have a better pipeline for ethicists. And then part of that pipeline, I think, would be involving, okay, well, here's what ethicists actually do. You need to understand the variety of things that they do. And it is uh, like I, I'd say, I have a lot of latitude to be able to do a lot of different things that are all under the scope of, you know, advancing the ethics of the church, working for the church um, here at St. Vincent. So I think that if we're able to help, again, change the model a little bit, attract people to come into the field who have that same vision, I think that it can be, yes, very transformative. And I think I see glimmers of that um, with the people that are coming out of uh, of school right now. Uh, they have very much that same vision and desire to be able to, to lead that transformation or at least contribute to it. And I think that it would be very, very, I would be very encouraged by that transformation in terms of culture that we're able to build if we're able to to successfully do that. And this is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. That's all it really boils down to is, but I think that there's energy there and I see things coming together um, across kind of the the various different places that I work at, work with like Catholic Medical Association, Catholic Health Association. Uh, I see those, those trends happening. Um, So very, very positive and so I would ultimately say that five, 10 years, I would think that we'd be in a much better position to focusing on growing culture as ethicists, um, as a kind of an advancement of our field. Very interesting. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, uh, having to do with church relations and being a ministry, working as a ministry of the church. Can you tell us more about what that looks like and how this is tied to your work as an ethicist? 
So working as a ministry of the church is something that, for me personally, is is like the main reason I do this, is because ultimately we're called to witness to the kingdom of God, uh, to ourselves and to everyone that we meet, and help them make um, live their lives, you know, in a way that ultimately brings them closer to Christ. I think that you'll find in the Catholic healthcare ministry, people, whether they're Catholics themselves, they get that sense of, look, this is what God did uh, in Jesus. You read the Gospels, it's very clear, he's healing people all the time. So I think that there's a sense of that. But what they don't necessarily fully appreciate is that the Catholic hospital is just as much a part of the Catholic church as the parish down the street, canonically speaking. And that we are thereby representing this other entity, this this other you know, if it's the same institution, just you know, different facilities basically. And the more that people are able to see that, not only from inside the health system, but like I said, from the parish, then I think that it helps to grow, I'll say, mutual accountability between the, the the parish and the hospital of saying, we're all in this together. And if you want a vibrantly Catholic health system, you want a vibrantly Catholic uh, parish, well, we need to integrate these two because both of these are elements of how the church ministers to the world and witnesses to the gospel in a holistic way. But if we separate them out, well, you can go get your soul fed on Sunday at the parish, and then you can go get your body taken care of over at the hospital. And somehow these two things are viewed as separate. Um, But clearly the church's teaching is, no, this is all integrated. This is all one thing. Uh, We have to care for persons as, as, um, you know, body, mind, spirit, no matter where you're at. Um, and I think that that's uh, maybe a historical accident that these things have kind of grown separate. But I think that through and through, we're better together, uh, less fragmentation and more integration, uh, both parish and health system. So when I when I talk about ministry of the church and why I think that this is important to promote, I think it's ultimately better for uh, caring for people who are in the church, for instance, but then also living out the church's mission to uh, enact the kingdom of God here on earth. How do you do that, practically speaking? And I'm thinking of, you know, hospital staff certainly are not all Catholic, and sometimes you'll have people who are apathetic to Catholic identity, and sometimes you'll have people who are actually against Catholic identity. How, how do you foster that understanding of the hospital as a ministry of the church or within staff? So the first, the, the first step is you tell them, but you do it in a way that they, that lays out the rationale. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what my experience has shown me is that people typically, if they're not uh, fully, um, if they're not themselves Catholics, and even if Catholics themselves will say, oh, the ethical and religious directives, those are just a bunch of rules that we follow. Okay. I say, well, you can look at it that way. But in fact, what it is, is why we have these things. For instance, look at section two of the uh, 
directives. What does it talk about? It talks about spiritual care, the whole the whole, you know, how we administer sacraments and how we build up our spiritual care departments. Um, that is, if you don't have spiritual care, for instance, you're not a Catholic healthcare system, long and short of it. Why? Because this is about care of souls as well. But, and so we're saying, look, you need to understand what these are and why they're applicable, right? So why they're applicable is the same way of, I, say, I tell them, uh, look, when you are working at this type of facility, you are acting and 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 you're representing the Catholic Church, um, and therefore the the ERDs are saying when you use our stuff, do as we would do, and here's the guidelines for being able to do that. And you may not necessarily agree with all the rationale behind them, but as a human being, you deserve to know what that is. And ultimately, if this is something that resonates with uh, your own moral system, and some people are able to say, you know what, um, that's not necessarily my beliefs, but I think I agree with the overall mission of the organization, and I'm not going to do anything to undermine it, right? Um, you get other people who are fully bought in and said, yes, that's who I am myself, and that's who I, why I want to be here. Um, even if they're not necessarily Catholic. And then you also get people who are saying, you know what, I, I disagree with this rationale. I think, it's, I think it's terrible, and this isn't the place for me. And so then the, the culture, and, and we say, yeah, you're not going to be happy in a place like this if, if you fully understand what's going on here. Um, and so God bless you. I hope you find some place that you can, you know, learn and grow from, but it's not necessarily here. So the way that we address that diversity of kind of experience or thoughts is first and foremost through education and formation. Um, and then the same thing is true in the parish, I would argue, is that we have to have a better understanding and uh, clarity around expectations of again, what a health system looks like and operates today, that's, I already mentioned, people just don't, if, you don't, if you're not in it, it's hard to understand it. It's really complex. But then what that means from a, uh, uh, for instance, an ethics perspective of, have you ever encountered somebody who said, well, you know, ethics is easy. It's all, it's really easy, simple. Like, what's your job? And you're like, well, it gets a little bit more complex because situations are varied and you got to apply principles into these muddy situations. So I think that there's a learning curve of what the complexities are in a health system that maybe the, the, the parishioner might not have a full appreciation of. But again, it's about education, reaching out, experiencing uh for both sides of that conversation. So when I'm trying to do church relations, uh, we're trying and building up kind of that interconnectivity between the two. It's really about being with one another and understanding the difficulties that each faces. I think that that's the, the only way to really break down that barrier. And again, I've seen very positive results. The more that that outreach has occurred because it's kind of like a family reunion uh, where you're like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How you been? Let's let's sit down and uh, catch up over a beer. It's great, and you see this, you know, community grow right there in a way that is 
just positive for both sides of things. Earlier, you talked about your own internship experience with Ascension while you were in St. Louis. Is that uh, is that internship experience uh, for others? Is that program still going on, or are you running an internship program anywhere? We had a graduate assistantship in St. Louis, which was tied directly to St. Louis's uh, university's Center for Catholic Healthcare Ethics. But it's all part of the pipeline um, to to go back to that idea. And one of the things that my experience taught me was the earlier exposure to Catholic healthcare ethics as a field would be beneficial for people, you know, coming into the field. So since I've been here in uh, Indiana, we have run an internship that um, is, is based on similar principles that I had in my assistantship, but it, because insofar as it's broad exposure to what Catholic healthcare looks like from the inside and specifically the ethics dimension of that, the ethics service dimension of that. So we've run a ethics internship here for five years. Um, we've opened it to undergraduates and also to uh, graduate level students. We've had a lot of actual, uh, actually working with Marion University, we've had a lot of um, first year medical students come through as well um, and participate in it. We've done basically two interns every year uh, at minimum and they've come on for the summer some of them a little bit longer and they have basically run the ethics program with us so they've helped out with ethics committees they have uh, done education built resources and tools for us and, and they've really contributed in a substantial way to how effective our program is now. So for instance, we do a clinical ethics intensive where we train ethics committee members in certain levels of ethics consultation. They were the ones that kind of helped pull that all together, get all the resources together, get everybody scheduled and trained and execute the training, the initial one. We also have a uh, internal website for our ethics committees in which we post all of our you know, committee meeting materials for the month to that SharePoint site. They've developed that whole site to be super user friendly and accessible. And it's all been them because I'm like, uh, you young kids can take care of all this technology, right? Well, okay, go ahead and do that. <laughs> but no, but honestly, they've been very, very, uh, contributory to the whole program. And then the benefit of that is that they get exposure to ethics in Catholic healthcare. And now we've only actually had one come through thus far who has uh, gone on to a career in Catholic healthcare ethics. She works now with Beckett. She's very, uh, very, very talented uh, and will have a great future. But what we noticed is that by opening it up to non just ethicists, but for instance, physicians who want to or future physicians who want to understand ethics at this point in their career, it's planted great seeds. We've had two come through, they were undergrads, and because of their experience, they decided to pursue masters in ethics alongside their MD. We've had people who, you know, part of the Catholic Medical Association, and they have been presidents of their the local guild. 
they've been just really, really fantastic to work with. And so what you're seeing is, again, I said our model is about empowering healthcare workers to be able to be moral agents and bring ethics to bear. What you're seeing is we're, we're growing them there in, in seed form, as it were. But, and it's turning out way better than I could have ever anticipated because now you have these really conscientious right. clinicians who are going to be leaders, absolute leaders. Um, and I couldn't ask for more because I'm like, you need to come work for us because this is exactly what we want out of our own people. Exactly. Is this internship program just happening at St. Vincent in Indianapolis or is this happening in other parts of the Ascension system as well or in other systems? So I was talking with uh, Nate Hibner from uh, the Catholic Health Association, and he told me that, so Beckett Grimmel's down in Texas. He's been running one. I don't know if he does. I think he does one per year at 40 hours per week. Um, one intern, yeah. So it's a little bit of a different model, but he's had one sustainable. And then ours is um, probably one of the longer running ones other people have had interns but it's nothing in terms of like a sustained intentional program as far as i know now i i might be misspeaking there but that's something that no we take pride in that this is one way to help try and contribute to the the pipeline i had i didn't know that you guys had this internship program and i'm glad i do know now because as you're speaking my the, the the mice are spinning in my brain as to uh, you know oh okay how can this work? We've we've had people from um, St. Louis University, from IU, uh, Indiana University. Um, we've had people from Marion University. That's been our predominant um, source because they're one of our main partners here at St. Vincent. Um, we've also had people from Ohio State. So. Very much Midwest focus, obviously, but um, yeah, it's been a fantastic experience. We've learned and grown uh, just as much as I think that the interns have. And we always try and go back to them for feedback, especially as they advance of saying what we could have done better in our internship that would prepare you better. Um, but I would love to see something like that, uh, you know, grow and take seed in other locations because the more we can do it, I think the better uh, the, the field will ultimately be. And and for all intents and purposes, it's not extremely difficult. Um, in the past, we've paid the interns. We've, we've had to experience some experiment sometimes with doing unpaid internships. But um, overall, the idea of I'm contributing and I'm giving something back to the next generation for their own benefit is... Like it's meaningful enough to me to be able to do it. Yeah, it gets a little hairy sometimes trying to coordinate schedules, but um, the the value you get out of it is, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. So with that in mind, with this internship, uh, this forward-looking, future-looking um, opportunity for people, what advice would you offer to whether an undergraduate age? college student or a graduate student who is thinking about a career in healthcare ethics? What, what would you tell them? A couple things. Um, I would say that the best way that I know to get into or involved or learn about uh, Catholic healthcare ethics is to get to know the people in Catholic healthcare ethics. So I think that having them, for instance, reach out to the center would be a great way to 
<clears throat> start the conversation. Again, I'm happy to field questions. I know Beckett and, and our other co our colleagues are happy to do the same because we're looking for more colleagues to, to do this work with. Um, so I think that's the easiest and most direct way. So I get emails and, you know, um, things like that from people all the time saying, hey, I'm in uh, undergraduate and I just, you know, somehow found your name. Can we talk? And I'm always happy to do that. So I think that that's the first and foremost thing is if you're interested in it, reach out, talk, get involved with um, the, the people who are in it. The second piece I would say is experience counts for so much in this. And I would say if there's a way for people, especially college students or, or people who are in um, graduate school to who are interested in this and want to maybe learn a little bit more, find a local ethics committee um, and just sit in it if they allow you to participate in that way. Um, because that's where you see this all in action. And that's been and always has been the greatest experience that I had, um, whether it was in school or just in practice here, is that practical application in the committees themselves where you're, you know, having discussions and, and, and you have to do research sometimes to make your case. But that's the second piece of advice, specifically for Catholic healthcare ethicists. Um, then I would expand the conversation a little bit, going back to the idea of a pipeline and say, we've had a student come through our internship who was very much wanted to be in health administration. And we said, that's fantastic. You, you know, we think you can get a lot out of this internship. And so he was able to come and he didn't really fully know what he wanted to do in health administration. But I said, look, point of the matter is, or the, the reality of the fact, the situation is that for all of those people out there who are wondering, how can I live my faith out in my career? You don't have to have this dichotomy between faith and work life. You can have uh, the opportunity to integrate them at a Catholic health system. So we need marketers, we need uh, finance people, we need people who advocate on a legislative level, we need, um, oh my goodness, basically anything you want to do, you can do in a large Catholic health system. Um, and what you can do there is not only work and have meaningful employment and, and you know, receive good um, compensation, you can actually... Are your ex, I would argue you're expected to bring your faith to work and to help build up that culture that is as a ministry of the church. And so I find that that's a message that needs to be um, to put out there. So when I was at Franciscan University, it was very interesting because I would, my wife was in the nursing program and the way that people combine Catholicism um, and medicine was like, well, okay, you could be either a nurse or a physician, and that's how you do it. And then I got into the health system, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we need people who are motivated by you know their faith and want to live it out up and down the board. And thank goodness we have those people. We have a lot of those people here, but I, we always need more. Um, you know, so that's something that I would really, really encourage people 
if even if Catholic healthcare ethics isn't specifically for you, there's a lot of things that you can do. And again, you're working for the church in a way that, um, well, at at Franciscan people would also go into uh, catechetics or theology. Why? Because they wanted to be a director of religious religious education at a parish. And I said, okay, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, the experience that I've seen a lot of people have is, okay, that's not paying the bills for my family, um, right? And I still want to do this. I think it's meaningful, but how do I do that uh, in a way that is able to take care of my family? Well, you can – and so I know somebody who went back and got their um, uh, CPA, and I'm like, see, you can – we need we need those in Catholic health care. Accounting is very important for us managing all the, the, the finances that we have. So I think that that's just a, something I would encourage people to think about is that if you want a sense of mission and and um, living out your faith, please come do it in the Catholic health system. We as ethicists would greatly appreciate that collaboration. Yeah, I can't I, I can't um, agree with you more on that. And and as you were speaking, I was thinking of my own experiences. Um, I worked for a health system for two short years, but seeing that. Um, seeing that understanding, seeing people's faith in action and people wanting to stay at the system because it was a Catholic system. They, and they would explicitly say that. And then we travel around the country and we meet people from healthcare systems, you know, all around the country. And that's a common theme. Um, even for people who aren't Catholic, they'll say, you know, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say, you know, there's something different here. There's a, there's a feeling here. There's, you know, and I want to be here. And, and, you know, maybe I could make you know, a couple thousand dollars at the, at the secular system down the street, but I stay here because there's something, there's something here. And, and it's, it's that mission. It's that understanding. I think it's that, that sense of belonging to something that's bigger than you. And, you know, in, in the case of Catholic healthcare, it's you, being a ministry of the church. And I, I think that's, that's very, very important. And I, again, couldn't agree with you more. Um, great, great point. So, Last question um, for you, and this is a kind of a wrap-up question, and, and we've mentioned uh, Beckett Grimmels. Um, we did a podcast with him previously, and I asked him this question, and, I, and I'd, I'd like to get your take on the same question. So, Elliot, today, what do you see as the value added or the return on, or return on investment of ethics within Catholic healthcare, and, and how do you demonstrate that, specifically within Ascension? So, I would... I don't want to answer like Beckett just because he he's he's he has his own brilliant insight on that and he's got a lot of good um you know I'll say tangible d- demonstrable ways to do that. Uh, I I'm going to go a little bit more anecdotal um and I can speak to in speaking with our ethics committee members they have been able to report back to me the change in culture especially the ones who have been with us for a while, right? They're able to they're able to say things are so different. Before people didn't talk about ethics. It was kind of uh the this this police and you didn't want to get them involved because that that meant somebody was in trouble. And now it's more of this is just what we talk about um as part of our conversation on a day-to-day basis. I had a, a unit manager on the NICU, for instance, tell me, Elliot, since I've been participating in this program, I've changed the way I do my recruiting and onboarding. Uh, 
So for instance, she will have a sit down talk about the ERDs in detail with all of her, uh, you know, applicants basically to say that, look, this is going to be a really difficult situation. Uh, never mind. This was a mother, baby, a high risk OB unit where, where you're going to deal with these really, really complex and emotionally difficult situations. And so they'll walk through the ERDs and how they apply in those situations. Um, and she says what it does is it helps people say, oh, this is not for me. Or, yeah, I'm on board with it. I can be able to deal with that. Now, she's empowered to be able to do that. That's completely separate from me. She knows that you know I'm, I'm there to help back her up and whatever the case may be if she needs clarity. But she has better stability among her nurses because of this. She's able to have a more open dialogue with them. People are able to raise questions sooner to her. Um, I think that that's been the, the feedback directly uh, to me around the change in culture, the way that we've been doing things. And again, that's only a positive thing. So the more that we're able to help people see ethics as this support mechanism, especially for staff who are dealing with the complexities of, you know, they see the same hundred um, really terrible situations all the time. Okay, well, how can we help them out in a way that is not only provides clarity, but also lifts them up as persons? That's been the most rewarding thing for me. Um, and knowing that I'm not the only one who receives that feedback. So for instance, that's something that gets brought up to other leaders in the organization of how the, the value add is, 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 um, is coming through the ethics, uh, the ethics service. Another way we, we just did uh, Catholic identity matrix, which is a large Catholic identity assessment um, internal. Uh, and one of the things that people continually emphasize as, as being something that stood out in terms of how we live out our identity is the ethics program. And they think that that's a one way that significantly contributes to a positive Catholic identity and culture. Excellent answer. Any final words of wisdom you have for our listeners today? No, I just would really go back to that conversation we were having about um, encouraging people to find their vocation and live it out in a Catholic Catholic healthcare ministry. I think that that's such a significant point, um, both now and especially into the future, that if you have somebody in your life who's kind of trying to figure out the way to to live out their calling or find that calling or um, maybe looking for that opportunity to meld faith and, and career together, really, really look at where the Lord's calling you to, to practice and how to put that all together and test it out if it, it can't be in Catholic health care. Because if we really want to revitalize the church, I think that that's going to be a really, really helpful way to do it, of integrating and making the faith practical in a way that's right in line with how Jesus did it. Um, so that's the thing that I would leave people with is that kind of exhortation of come work with us in the field here. Elliot Bedford, thank you for a wonderful, wonderful interview today. My pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity, Joe. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, 
Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to support them and the National Catholic Bioethics Center, please click the donate button on our website. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.